Bethel and Reading, California, God. And, and the conversation kind of went like this. He said, God, you told me to start this business, uh, uh, automotive, automotive repair shop. And you told me to start this business. It's been going for a number of years. And I'm working really hard, but we're not making money. And there's lots of challenges and there's lots of stress. God, I, I thought because you told me to start the business, you would have built the business. And we'd have been blessed. And he said he remembers vividly in his prayer time what God said next. And God said to me, you know, Chris, I got you to start the business, not to build the business, but to build the man. So often in life, friends, things happen, and they're flipping hard. Why on earth would God let me go through this? Why do I have to face these issues, these pressures? But God's building men and women of God. And we're going to take our character, we're going to take our faith into eternity. I want to look at someone very practical this morning. Someone who was a great man of prayer. A man who um, prayed so much in the early church they called him old camel knees. So he spent so much time in prayer that his knees were the ugliest, gnarliest looking things and they used to call him old camel knees. This man was one of the three leaders in Jerusalem, together with Peter and John. He was quite staunch, whereas the apostles and Barnabas and Paul would say, it's about grace, it's about the love of God. This is the kind of man that would get in your face and say, sharpen up, you're not living the Christian life, get it together, get it sorted. Or he would say, stop talking to me about Christianity, get out there and start living it, start doing it. He was heavily connected to his Jewish roots. And so he had more of a, a Jewish flavor than the other apostles in the early church. He was a half-brother of Jesus. Mary and Joseph were his parents. And of course, I'm talking about who, friends? The Apostle James. The Apostle James, old camel knees. One of the things I love about this guy, he was a man of prayer, but he was incredibly practical. And I really believe this is about this church. This is a praying church. And there's been a, a desire in the heart of this church for a long, long time to be out there practically blessing and impacting our community. It's not really happened, but it's here in our heart as a church. We're a praying church, but we don't just want to be on our knees. We want to be on our knees and out where the needs are, where the poor are, where the lonely are, where the people are struggling in life are. We want to be there as well as on our knees, like old camel knees. I love the way he begins this book. He says, from James, this is James chapter 1, verse 1, the servant of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ. When I was back in West Auckland, one of the things that would happen for me, for Pastor Doug over there, is that they would send us trainee students from Laidlaw College or Kerry College all the time. And so most years you'd have your pastoral team, but you'd also have a trainee pastor. And that trainee pastor would be with you for 12 months. Sometimes they'd get a summer assignment as well, and it was your job to mentor them. And I found it really interesting for me when I looked at trainee pastors, it was quite easy to work out who was good and who wasn't good. And it had nothing to do with intellectual ability, it had nothing to do with oratory skills. It had everything to do with one characteristic that old Camelies had. Do you know what it was? 
humility. It's the humble guys that didn't draw attention to themselves or the humble girls that didn't draw attention to themselves but wanted the glory to go to God. I found I could trust them. I found they were safe for churches. I found the Holy Spirit could move them. And old Camel Eve was humble. Man, he could have written his letter and said to the church, you know, church, it's me, James, Jesus' half-brother. I know more about Jesus than any of you. Listen to me. And it would have been true. He doesn't do that. He says, hey, James, a servant of Jesus Christ. That, that characteristic of humility is such a beautiful thing in practical Christianity. And you can trust people that don't draw attention to themselves, but to the Lord. He's writing to Jews who have been scattered. Jews have become Christians who have been scattered throughout the known world. And he says in verse 2, My friends, be glad, even if you have a lot of trouble. You know you learn to endure by having your faith tested. But you must learn to endure everything so you'll be completely mature and not lacking in anything. If any of you need wisdom, you should ask God. Satan wants to use trouble, sickness, disease, redundancies, relational struggles, floods, to tear you down and to wipe you out. God allows trouble to come your way. He'll allow it as a learning experience for you because he's building a man or he's building a woman. I've often said, God, it's this thing that this family's facing or this thing that I'm facing, it's, it's too tough. And why, God, why let me go through this? Or why does she have to go through that? Or why does that couple have to go through that? And it might be significant, the loss of a child or something extreme. And I'm aware when those things happen, Satan's doing his best to stomp on the Christian, to stomp on their mana, to make them feel like rubbish. But in the midst of those situations, I've seen Christians become the most beautiful people, the most radiant people, the most graceful people so Satan sends this terrible trouble, this storm, and it's meant to crush them. And somehow they walk through the storm, they walk through the challenge in such a way that the grace of God just grows even more and even more. And I've often looked at those people and thought, I want to be more like those people. I want to be more like those people. Satan sends us trouble to crush us. God allows trouble to build us up, to make us better people. Often when we talk about testing, people say, look, God's testing me. And I'm not sure that folk understand really how that works. And I want, to use a, I want you to pretend this is a beautifully crafted wooden chair. Is your imagination good enough for that? If you tell stories to your kids and your grandkids, I'm sure it is. But I want you to imagine this is a beautifully crafted wooden chair. This is how testing works. Now, if Kevin Singleton in this church made me a beautifully crafted wooden chair, and he said, Russ, come and try this chair out. Test the chair. I would just plonk myself down on it and go, yeah, comfortable, really well fitted, you know. And I'll just drop myself into the chair. Why? Because I know Kevin wouldn't be making it, you know, uh, poorly. He'd make it well, sort of mean he is. I've got a brother. He's very much like our good man, Logan Reed, in this church. Great carpenters, both of them. Great carpenters, really good builders, but also good with a sense of humour. And I don't know over the years how many pranks my older brothers played on me. It'd be into the hundreds. And birthday times, family occasions, pranks often happen. Now, if Logan Reed or my brother gave me a wooden chair and said, Russell, 
I've made a chair for you. I want you to test it out. If it was my brother or Logan, I'd sort of give it a nudge and a shake and a push. It didn't fall down. I'd sit on it gingerly in case it made a weird noise or gave me an electric shock, you know. And I'd be cautious because the test, I couldn't predict the outcome of the test. But God is like the, the carpenter that says, I'm going to allow you to go through a test so you can see how good I am. So you can discover how good and faithful I am. Not to, to rip you apart, not to condemn you because you weren't strong enough, but so you can test and prove that I'm there for you, that I'm good and I'll support you. Last year was one of the worst years of my life. Well, it would be the worst year, easily. And like you, I've been through terrible things in life. We all have. But over the course of the year, I think about 50 times, I came within a hair's breadth of dying. Over the course of the year, I had five angiograms. One of them was a double angiogram, two and a half hours. Sedation didn't work, so I was fully awake the whole time. Extremely painful and could feel all the different probes in my heart and I'm trying to get through the blocks and things. It was not pleasant. But I want to tell you something. I went through last year and thought, God, where are you? This is really scary. I'll be up at night, you know, most nights, sitting up, extreme pain, no circulation often in my leg and my arm, thinking, I don't want to die and leave my granddaughter without a granddad. Biggest concern. And I'll say, pray hard out, position myself for a miracle, believe for a miracle. It didn't happen, but God was with me. Let me explain now. Somehow, for some reason, God let me go through it. But he showed that he was with me in so many different ways. One of the most beautiful ways was there's several people in this church who are just genuinely godly, loving friends. And they just kept blessing me, praying for me, supporting me, doing what I needed, done for me. Uh, other people would prophesy life over me. And I just sort of hung on to my faith last year going, God, this is really terrible, really terrible and really scary. And I don't feel like a super strong Christian. I just feel weak at this point. And these other Christians would come and just prophesy future, prophesy ministry. And I thought, wow, I'm not even sure I can believe it in the midst of what I'm going through. There was one operation, the, probably the scariest one I had in Auckland. And uh, when they were doing this two-and-a-half-hour op, on the table, uh, extremely painful, big monitor zooming around me the whole time. And I was really, really scared. But when I looked across and noticed the surgeon, he looked like Al Waller. Now, that's impossible. But Waller's one of the most, in my mind, one of the people I respect the most. Full of faith, godly man, incredibly skilled doctor. And how was it? I mean, this guy probably didn't look like Waller at all in reality, but somehow lying on the table with things zooming and things going in and out of my arms and through my heart, I looked across and I could see someone that represented the presence of God to me. And he was in charge of the whole procedure. God didn't keep me from the trauma. And I'm still getting chest pain from time to time, quite severe. Yes, it's not over yet, but he was with me in the trauma and I found that God was faithful. I found that God kept turning up through people. Bills got paid that shouldn't have been payable. All sorts of things happened that showed God was with me. And I want to say to your friends, I don't know what your trial is right now. If you're not going through one, we probably will soon. <laughs> and God will allow you to go through some stuff that doesn't make any sense to you, but he's allowing you to go through it so you can sit in that trial and go, wow, God, I don't understand it, but you're right here. You're holding me up. You're holding me together. 
just seemed to be just perfectly fitted for me. God is good. And he gets us through things and he causes us to grow. We'll take our character into eternity. We'll take our faith into eternity. I couldn't say to anyone, last year I was a great man of faith. It's not true. I hung on shaking, trembling, wondering what the next day would bring. What I can say is, I came out of it with faith and God was with me. And God showed his reality in the midst of it. And often, that's the case. James, old camel knees, he says, oh, be glad when you go through a storm. Be glad when times are rough. Why? Because God is going to show to you that he's faithful. That he's good. It's not a test of you. It's so you can test and prove that God is good and he's good all the time. And so he says in verse 13, don't blame God when you're tempted. God cannot be tempted by the devil, by evil. And he doesn't use evil to tempt others. We are tempted by our own desires that drag us off and tramp on us. Our desires make us sin. And when, we sin, when sin is finished, it leaves us dead. Don't be fooled, my friends. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father who created all the lights in the heavens. He's always the same and he never makes dark shadows by changing. He wanted us to be his own special people. And so he sent the true message to give us new birth. My dear friends, you should be quick to listen, and so to speak, or to get angry. How many of you have had parents or grandparents that said to you when you were little, you've got two ears and one mouth, so listen twice as much as you speak. Anyone heard that in your life? I reckon it started with James. I really do, old camel knees. I reckon he started that approach because he was the guy that said, when you pray, listen. When you pray, if you have to speak, you, you might make a mistake and say the wrong thing, so keep your words to a minimum. If you have to speak, ask God for wisdom. If you're angry, it's very unlikely that you're going to say the right things. I've come across many Christians over the years that when they go through trauma and bad experiences, they go, God, what are you doing? And other Christians go, oh, God can take it. I go, absolutely not. God is God, and you and I are tinier than a speck compared to God. And he loved us profoundly. Can't understand it, but it's a reality. And if you're going through a hard time, don't shake your fist at God. Don't grumble at God and say, God can take it. Here's an earful, God. No, God is God. And you and I fear him. We be careful with our words. If we don't know what's going down or what the plan is, we keep our mouths quiet, keep our ears open to the Holy Spirit, and we ask for wisdom. Sometimes, when you pray, you won't hear the voice of God in response. Sometimes he wants to use other people, but James suggests three reasons why sometimes you don't hear from God. If you can't hear from God, maybe it's because your mind is clogged up with rubbish and ideas that don't come from God. Verse 21 says, you must stop doing anything immoral or evil. So, so maybe we're messing with stuff and looking at stuff and thinking about stuff that isn't godly, and we're saying, God, why don't you talk to me? James, practical James, would say, you just stop the nonsense. Cut it out. You know, and, and turn away from those things straight away. If you're stuck, not hearing from God, it might be also because your mind is made up. And that happens to people who say, God, I know what I'm going to do. I know what I want to do. And God tries to nudge us in a different direction. And we say, we can't hear. God's not talking to me. You know? Instead, he says, be humble and accept the message God planted in you to save you. Sometimes 
We need to put ourselves in a teachable position, even if it means the Holy Spirit takes us where we don't want to go. And be humble and be teachable. If our minds are made up, we're going to struggle to hear the voice of God. Sometimes our minds are clogged up, sometimes they're made up, sometimes they're mixed up. Sometimes people hear the word of God and we go, we've heard that before, we agree with that. Oh, love our enemies, absolutely. You know, um, be kind to those who persecute. God, definitely agree with that. You know, forgive people before the saints. Oh, every day. But in reality, we're not. We know it and we believe it. Because we believe it, we think we're doing it. And the Apostle James would say, sharpen up, you're mixed up. That's why you're not hearing from God. Verse 22. Obey God's message. Don't fool yourselves by just listening to it. If you hear the message and don't obey it, you are like people who stare at themselves in the mirror and forget what they look like as soon as they leave. But you must never stop looking at the perfect law that sets you free. God will bless you in everything you do if you listen and obey and don't just hear and forget. And old Camel Lee's finishes a chapter. Something incredibly practical about the community. He says that if you're a Christian, you will have compassion on those in the community who are struggling. Let me read it for you. Verse 26. If you think you're being religious but can't control your tongue, you're fooling yourself. And your religion is useless. This guy was blunt. He was really blunt, you know. Religion that pleases God the Father must be pure and spotless. You must help needy orphans and widows and not let this world make you evil. You know, in those times, in those patriarchal days, if there wasn't a man to feed you, to look after you, you go hungry, you're dead, you might starve. And so the two people groups most in need of practical help in those days, before MSD, before all those things were put in place, were the widows and the orphans. You didn't have a man in the house, you were probably going to struggle for survival. And so James says, boy, if you're a real Christian, you're going to look after these marginalized people. You're going to look after these needy people. You're going to have compassion for them. I was once part of a church where every day of the week there were community services taking place. And there was this beautiful old lady, a bit like our Gwenda Hoskin, actually, in character, you know, similar vintage. And um, she would say to me all the time, Russell, this is the church without walls. And what she meant was every day the church was meeting the needs of the community, going out, and the community was coming in to get the needs met. And in that context where you unashamedly love on people, pray for people, talk about Jesus, salvation is just happening all the time. And that's the way it's meant to be, a church without walls. I remember in the years, I spent 90 years as a budgeter. And when people came in for a budget, I'd often sit them down and say, you know what, most folk who've maxed out their um, income and uh, reduced their debt as far as they can go, I can still save you 140 bucks on average. That was the average I could save just by using budgeting skills and negotiating for them. But then I would say, but if I pray for you, much bigger things will happen. So we sit down, we haven't started the budget, they begin to talk about their lives and their precious and what's important to them, you know, what they're aiming for, deep personal stuff. I just sow a seed about God. If I pray, bigger things can happen. And those that were open to God, open to faith, would start talking about the Lord and asking questions during the budget. In our food bank in that particular church, if you came in for a food parcel, you were assigned a mentor, you were given budget support, and somebody prayed for you. 
So it wasn't just come and get a food parcel, fill in a form. It was connected to the kingdom and to outreach. Uh, emergency housing, the same. If someone was put into the emergency houses through the church, they'd be mentored, they'd be supported. And Jesus was unashamedly spoken about, even though we had government funding. It was unashamedly spoken about our faith and funders knew of what we stood for. When I look at this church, I see some beautiful things happening on an individual level. At Christmas time, there's five people in this church that do what they can to reach out and support those in need. I've seen people do chaplaincy work through this church very practically for the elderly. I've seen very generous and kind people do something quietly on their own. But there's been a desire in the heart of this church for an awfully long time to be loving on the community in the name of Jesus in practical ways. And I really believe God wants to open the door for that to happen for us. I think when we had Denise Levy and the Unlimited Love Days, things like that were just brilliant. And I can't predict what's ahead, but I've got some ideas. What I do want to find out is what's on your heart. Because as the church begins to do more and more things for the community, we'll start where our heart priorities are. And then we'll expand on that. We're not going to burn people out. We're not going to take on too much. We're going to say, God, what's your will? What's your plan? And we're going to build from there. At the back of the church, there are two little glass tables with green stickers for 35-year-olds and under. Yellow, gold, gold stickers. I was going to say yellow. Gold better. Gold stickers for anyone over 35. <clears throat> now, I'm particularly interested in what our younger adults think about community ministries, who they see as a marginalised groups. But when you're having a cup of coffee after church this morning, I'll be ever so grateful if you'd pick up one sticker for you, green if you're 35 and under, you get gold if you're over 35, and look at the need, needy people uh, described on the walls around the back walls of the church and say, you know what, this one, Russell, this one passes most on my heart because that would give me an indication as to what the Holy Spirit is doing in this church. There's some other things that I think are about to start in the life of our church. I didn't get a, a text back from Sam Polly this morning, but I believe he's going to say to me, Russell, go out and buy a big freezer this week. That's what I believe. And if we get a big freezer this week, <coughs> it'll go in that room off the end of the kitchen and it'll have drawers in it. And it'll be for anyone that comes in off the street who's hungry. Now, what we would do if they come in off the street and they're hungry, we'll microwave a dinner for them, we'll pray with them, we'll sit with them, and they can just enjoy it. Maybe it's someone in the church, you've got a neighbour, a friend who's struggling. They'll be able to go into the kitchen, grab something out of one of those drawers and take it home. Maybe you, you're like me, you're, <coughs> I cook like an islander because of my background. And when I cook, there's always enough food for another meal. And if that happens, put that food in a little ice cream container saying what day, what it is, the date it was frozen, you know, and pop it in that freezer. And I want to see just food flowing in and food flowing out. And we don't even need to know who it goes to. We don't need to know. It can, and things like that can become such an easy thing for us to do as a church. We've got some beautiful seniors in this church, beautiful people. And when they've had operations, when they're not well, they don't necessarily have people to look after them. And if I could go in there or someone else can and grab three or four or five frozen meals, that'd be just a wonderful thing to do. So not confirmed, but I'm believing it's going to happen this week. Hey, he texts you. Are we good to go? Yay! Awesome, Matt. Awesome. Hopefully that's right. That's one thing we can do now. But be in prayer about this, friends. We want to be the sort of people that Camel News was. I mean, men of prayer, women of prayer, absolutely, but people of action, absolutely as well. We don't want to do, 
what everyone else is doing. We don't want to pick up a book and copy what they're doing. What we want to do is what the Holy Spirit leads us to do in this church. And I trust as he does, some beautiful things are going to form. Things are going to happen relationally, and lost people will get saved, and saved people will get loved when they need support. We're going to do a quick review on the screen. And I want you to just call out so the person beside you can hear the answer. Um, many of you will be going through challenging times right now. James gives us practical advice on how to live the Christian life. Could you please call out your answer to these sentences? If anyone's going through a hard time, troubles and needs, and needs wisdom, he or she should ask God. Beautiful. Satan intends to use trouble in our lives to break us. God allows trouble in our lives to make us, mature us, build us up. Beautiful. God is good all the time. All the time. Every good and perfect gift comes from God. I was having a daydream moment during the week this week. I thought, what if all of a sudden, by some miracle, I got a good singing voice? That'd be a heck of a miracle, you know? And what if people flock to hear my singing? And this takes a tremendous amount of imagination, you know? If they flock to hear my singing, could I boast and say, what a wonderful singer I am? Of course I couldn't. Because if I was gifted in that way, it's because of the grace of God. If I'm gifted to fix cars, it's because of the grace of God. If I'm gifted to, to sing or to speak or to do art or, or good surgical operations, it's because of the grace of God. Every good and perfect gift comes down from him. If you're listening twice as much as you're speaking and you still can't hear, maybe your mind is something with sin. That was quiet, guys. Clogged up, you said, didn't you, quietly for the person beside you with sin. Or maybe you're being stubborn with God and you're not hearing from God because your mind is made up. Or maybe you're not obeying what you've read and heard so your life is mixed up. Discipline spirituality that pleases God means that you will um, show practical compassion to those around you. Let's stand, friends. I'll get Isaac and the team to come forward. I'm going to pray for you before they do the closing song. When I came to this church two and a half years ago, the number of people that told me, Russ, we want to be out there loving on people was just huge. And I'm praying this morning that God begins to open our eyes to the first steps of practical Christianity to the poor, to the needy, to the homeless in the city. That is God-led. It's not rushed. We don't go ahead of God. We don't just grab good ideas. Holy Spirit leads us in that process. So I'm going to pray for the church that that happens. I'm also going to pray for you and for me. You know, if you're not going through a storm, a trial, trouble right now, maybe next week you will, sadly. And that's what happens. But may God make us the people he wants to be in the midst of whatever storm we're facing or about to face.